And welcome back to Gold Shields, the best true crime podcast out there. I'm Dan Murphy, along with my partner in crime, Tom Smith. How are you doing this morning, buddy? I'm doing great, Dan. As always, happy to be here. Yeah. So Tom and I, every week, bring you the best true crime, the most compelling cases from the mouths of the detectives and investigators who made those cases. And we have special guests like we have today. But before we jump into that, let's talk quick first about our friends at Fairline Defense. Fairline Defense is a comprehensive set of services and protections for those who like to carry and exercise their Second Amendment rights. Fairlinedefense.com. You won't find better you won't find more affordable, and you won't find better people to deal with. I've known them for years. They're outstanding people of integrity. Should you decide to use that weapon, you're going to need something behind it. Fairline Defense is your answer. Fairlinedefense.com. Who else you want to talk about this morning, Tom? You know what, Dan? We got a... Uh you know, we're affiliated with a lot of companies and there's some that are just standouts and Bone Frog Coffee Company is one of them. CEO Tim Crookshank, who we will talk about very shortly, uh, gave us the opportunity to be partnered with them. And Bone Frog is so great. You can see Dan's uh, mug and some Every of the, show. Some of the packages show. we got. And I got some here too. They're an amazing company. And what stands out about Bonefrog is what they give back. You know, their their contributions and how they give back to the Navy SEAL community and the families of those Navy SEALs is incredible. The amount of money that's generated to support these families is next to none. And Tim and his team do an amazing job. And we're proud and say it all the time that that Bonefrog is the official coffee of Gold Shields. And we're proud of Absolutely. that fact. So make sure everyone out there go to bonefrogcoffee.com, buy their incredible blends, their incredible coffees. They taste so good. Dan has one every show that we do, every show. I drink decaf because I have a heart issue. I just love the flavor of coffee. And I have to tell you, the most flavorful coffee I have ever had. I've been to Guatemala and had coffee down there. Nothing beats Zenfrog. They go and they source from the best in Central and South America. It's outstanding coffee. And 10% of the proceeds go to help Navy SEALs families. Navy SEALs who put everything on the line for us as Americans all the time. The best trained warriors in the world, and we're blessed to have them. Let's support them. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better, Dan. Bonefrogcoffee.com. Go to it now. Get involved, support them, and uh, we're proud, again, they're the official coffee of this show, and we're proud of that. And Dan, why is it so important that we just did something for Bonefrog? Here's an interesting segue, Tom. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our guest today is none other than Tim Crookshank, a career Navy SEAL, an American hero, a great man who runs, founded Bonefrog Coffee because he wanted to give back, and Bonefrog Cellars. They make exceptional wines as well. Tim's going to be on in just a minute. We can't wait to speak to him. We know you're going to want to hear what he has to say. He's going to tell us about his life and his story. And so don't go away. We'll be right back. And just like that, we're back. Dan Murphy, along with my partner in crime, Tom Smith, and our very special guest today, Tim Crookshank, whose career in the SEALs and his accomplishments since then are really going to be fascinating for the audience today. I can't wait to hear them myself. Good morning and welcome to Gold Shields, Tim. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thanks for making the time for us. 
Absolutely. You know what? It, we had talked, uh, Tim, a while ago, uh, and you made a great point of how connected law enforcement and the military are. And we experienced that because as soon as we spoke, it was like we talked and knew each other for 10 years. You know, just the conversation and what was important to us and, and the dedication of your career and what Danny and I had the privilege of doing in the NYPD, it's just so equal and such of the same mindset. Uh, and that's why we connect so so well, I think, between law enforcement and the military. And I, I think you're a great example of that. You were so welcoming to us. I mean, we're two strangers from New York, and you just took us in as your brothers, you know, to have a conversation, give us the opportunity to have you on the show, which we are so privileged uh, yeah. to have you on. Uh, so we just want to go through, you know, Tim Cruikshank, the early years and, and see how this ride that you've been on your whole life started. So take us through, Tim, in the beginning of, of all this. Well, first of all, Tom, I want to say, you know, it's an honor to be on this show. I think with uh, the military and, and police and first responders, we're kind of kindred spirits. We're service oriented people, right? We want to want to help others and we are willing to sacrifice everything for that. And I, that's why there's like this immediate connection, uh, with you guys. Um, and you're very personable people. So I appreciate this. You know, um, my story started back in 1990. I joined the, um, the Navy back in December of 1990 with the intention of going through, um, SEAL training. And so I was fortunate enough to get a contract to go through and, and, uh, you know, did boot camp, uh, a school. I was a corpsman, uh, so medic. And, uh, they sent me straight to Bud's, uh, Bud's class 182, uh, graduated in 91. Um, and that's kind of where it all started. Um, I ended up serving 25 years in the Navy, uh, went from enlisted to officer and retired as a lieutenant commander in 2016. Um, the United States government has a way of keeping you very busy. And I'm sure we're going to talk later in the show about 9-11 and the significance of that. But, um, you know, at, by the end of my career, we had been at war for at that time, 16 years and, uh, it was a pretty busy time. So you kind of glossed over. Uh, a lot of stuff that I know the audience and, and Tom <laughs> to say that you glossed over it is an, uh, an understatement. Uh, so you go to the Navy, you go through basic, become a corpsman, and you, you said they just kind of sent you to buds. Does that sounds like it doesn't just happen that they send you to buds? No, you had to, you had to express an interest. You had to show certain capabilities. Tell us about that process. So going to buds, um, you know, there's a lot of people that want to do that, but they run you through the ringer, uh, both physically, mentally, labs, everything, you know. So if one thing is out of place, you get disqualified and you can't go. Um, so just getting there is hard. And when you go through MEPS, for me at the time, they had a what was called a dive fair program. And I had to commit six years instead of four to guarantee me orders. I did not want to go to the fleet. I wanted to go straight to buds and that was my goal. And so I, I was willing to sign those extra two years, but with the caveat that I had to pass the, the physical test in, um, in boot camp, And then again, in a school. And then again, when I got out to San Diego, and if you fail any of that, then they send you to the fleet. And so they put all this pressure on you to pass all these things. And, 
if you have anything wrong with your physical exam or any of that stuff, they send you to the fleet. And so just those hurdles of trying to get there and get active orders to buds is oftentimes difficult. So you go to buds. Yeah. Uh, buds is, I mean, I had the opportunity to, to go out to Coronado a couple of times and, and just see the facility and it's, it's intimidating just being there. I mean, as someone that's not involved in the military, we did a lot of work with them in JTTF, but not being in the military, you step on that land and it's intimidating because you know what's going on there and you know what's being developed there. And, uh, that's a big step. And, and a lot of people maybe in the audience don't, don't understand that you can, you can put in for buds and, and the seals directly getting recruited. Correct. You know, it's not yeah. something you do later on in your career. You can start right from Jump Street into that, right? You can do it both ways. Yeah. Either from the fleet or directly in. Yeah. And you're right. So that's hallowed ground. And for two reasons, it, it brings fear to bud students. One, you want to live up to the reputation of those that went before you. And that is, even to this day, I live with that, right? Um, I'm the perpetual FNG. I won't say that out loud, but most people know what that means. And um, the other thing is when you get there, there's so many stories that circulate that maybe are true or maybe are myth, but you don't know. It's the fear of the unknown and what you just got yourself into. Um, but you quickly learn once you th- you're there, uh, you know, some of those things that circulate are, are true. And I remember having this feeling that, you know, the instructors were, they're trying to kill you for sure. They're trying to kill you in my head. I'm like, they're trying to kill us. They're not. And when I came back as an instructor, I learned that it is a very fine line that is choreographed that they take you literally to the edge of what you can do mentally and physically. And it's meant for a reason. And it's, buds it's basic underwater demolition you think at the time this is the most difficult thing i have ever been through in my life but it is only just the beginning it is a baseline it is a confidence builder of what's to come that is going to be way more difficult than buds if that makes sense i think everybody at this point has seen uh there's a fair amount of video books everything movies etc about buds about the seal life but what stands out to you looking back from your buds experience and now that's a it, how, how many how long are you in basic underwater demolition school it's six months six months um no days off i would assume you get weekends but they're spent um working on stuff so it's time off but it's really not time off if that makes sense so you're yeah. there for six months. What stands out to you from as a moment that you thought, or maybe you had none, or maybe you had many, when I can't do this? I never thought that. Not ever. Um, but they challenge you and they push you to a point. There was a guy, a friend of mine, that is, was a SEAL, you know, uh, when I was going in, that gave me advice that sometimes – you need to take things maybe a day at a time or an hour at a time. Some evolutions, it's 30 seconds at a time. 
We only tap into a portion of what we're capable of doing or enduring mentally that tells our bodies to keep going. And um, I think on an average, the average person taps into about 20, 20% of their potential and you can do so much more. Buds is meant to push you past what you physically and mentally think you can't endure. Um, and that was probably the best advice that I got, whether it's the, the cold or the amount of pain that you're in or vomiting after every run and every swim. And, you know, um, they'll push you to your limits and they're looking for certain aspects in, in people that you're going to, when you graduate, you're going on to become part of one of the most elite fraternities in the world. And there's an expectation that you're going to live up to the reputation that your predecessor set for you. And that is a big bar to hold and maintain for the rest of your life. So it's a lot more than physical. It's, um, it's a lot of psychological, it's a lot of uh, forcing you to, uh, a lot of gut checks, I would imagine. But, yeah, uh, yeah. so you, how many, how many people, how many other sailors went into buds with you and how many of you graduated? Cause that's always an interesting number. God, I can't remember the total amount. I want to say it was 243 of us went in and, and 17 of us graduated. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Don't hold me to the exact amount of students, but it was, it was a lot. <laughs> that's but an I incredible that's attrition rate. That, that right there is a statement about just how tough it is because to go into buds, to get into buds, you got to be physically fit. Right. You got to be tough. You got to be dedicated, but it's something far deeper than that, isn't it? It's a DNA kind of thing, isn't it? It's interesting because, you know, when I was an instructor, you'd see these guys come in, we'd get professional football players, we'd get triathletes, we'd get college swimmers, you know, people that are in top condition, physically fit, you can't tell by looking at somebody. Um, it has nothing to do with your physical fitness. It does in a way, but really it has to do with your mental uh, strength and your heart and your will to continue on under any circumstance. And so when you look at somebody and you're like, oh, that guy's going to make it, you know, this big belt ripped person, Sometimes they're the first ones to quit because they've never been pushed past the limit that they are willing to accept, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you know what? I had a, I was going to come back to this later, but we're on the subject of you being an instructor at Buds. And I always wanted to know, like, there was a point in time I did some recruiting for colleges with, with college softball. And I would get asked by colleges to go look at certain girls play and because and my daughter played in college. So, you know, I would go and do that and look at them and all this. And there were times that I would go and you just look and you would just go, yeah, her. And just have that, you know, look on someone, how they're presenting themselves, how they're carrying themselves, their mental, you know, toughness, even before playing, you just, something just sparks that you look at them. Did you have that as an instructor? Like, were there candidates, recruits that you would look at and just go, that's a superstar that that kid's going to make it like to yourself, yes. not, not in an open yeah, conversation, but just say that guy's got something a little different than the other three guys next to him. Yes. 
Um, there are some guys like that. The ones I think that you're looking for, the ones that are putting in, it's almost like Rudy, right? You're looking for those people that are putting in the effort that never quit. They get knocked down, get back up, and they keep trying and pushing. And I, I swear, I would rather have somebody with average physical traits, but a hundred percent effort. You know, you're looking for people that, um, they're honest and they have good morals and they're strong and they have determination and grit and a never quit mentality. That's the guy you want next to you. Um, because maybe they're not the strongest or the fastest, but you know, they're, they're going to always have your back and they're always going to be there. And, you know, those are the, the ones that I really value. Um, there's guys that are human specimens that are, you know, and those guys are in the teams as well. And, and I love those guys. Um, but it's, it's the ones that never, you know, the, the gritty ones. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and you you had that in sports, you know, I just had a conversation with someone, uh, the other day about, you know, we talked about the correlation between the military and law enforcement and sports is in the middle of all that also. You know, yeah. athletics and sports and teamwork and dedication exactly. is all in the middle of, you know, you see so many cops or members of the military who are athletes because it's all a mental makeup. You know, yes, physical, obviously, but the mental aspect of, of sports and the military and law enforcement is so important and, and brings out the best in you and it makes you stronger. Yeah, it does. It does. So you graduate, and uh, after after buds, where does a a, a seal? You're not a full fledged seal after buds, are you? No, no, you just graduated buds. That's it. So f- it's kind of funny. The Navy does this throughout your career. They give you a, a dream sheet, right? And they say write down where you would like to go, and then the Navy chooses a duty station for you. And so um, I'm from the West Coast. I put SEAL Team One, Three, and Five. And they sent me to SEAL Team 8 in Little Creek, Virginia. Probably. <laughs> they go, hey, we got something for you, buddy. Um, and <laughs> uh, we have something similar, Dan, uh, Tim, oh, yeah. and it happens to us, too. Yeah. All yeah. the time. You never oh, get so- what I'm you sorry. want. But, but really, it was probably the best thing for me, right? So they send me to the other coast. Um, to a team that at the time was still brand new. They were transitioning from uh, Quonset Huts and double wide trailers into a brand new team with an AO um, of the Middle East. And, you know, so it was the Middle East, Africa, and part of the Caribbean was our area of operation. Little did we know at the time um, that, you know, what was going to end up happening, but um that's where I went first, SEAL Team 8, Little Creek, Virginia. And it was good. And we worked a lot. And I learned a lot. I met great people like Hector Delgado that you had yeah. brought up earlier. Love Hector. Oh, yeah, my God. he was at SEAL Team 2 when I was at 8 right across the street. That's great. Is that how it's broken up? You kind of have one area and it's just broken up into different areas of a larger area, if that makes any sense, of where the teams are set up? Back then it was. And so like um, SEAL Team 2 was Northern Europe, uh, covered uh, all the way over into Russia, 
And then SEAL Team 4 was all South American stuff. And so at that time, we were broken up into very specific AOs. But once uh, GWAT started, all that kind of went out the door and everybody just went to support the global war on terrorism. Yeah. Wow. So the skills are transferable, but there's certain areas uh, that you have to be concentrated on just to understand the dynamics, the weather, the conditions, all, all the other stuff like that. I would imagine that if that's your AO, your area of operation, you have to be an expert in that area. Correct? Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now you do a lot of work. The SEALs do a lot of work in support of intelligence services, and we're not going to ask about anything classified, but uh, it's fascinating. It's, it's, uh, Tom's been involved in this um, that kind of stuff that goes on that the average person doesn't hear about. Um, how how much of that kind of stuff did you do without giving away anything you worked on? How much were you involved in that as opposed to direct combat operations? If I understand your question correctly, um, so we work with all the three-letter agencies uh, a lot in everything that we do. Um, at one point in my career, I was actually assigned to one of them, working in a in special programs during the war, uh, doing some stuff. Um, so quite a bit. Now, after I got out, they've created units there that are very similar, um, where they're using guys in that capacity to gather intel. Um, so there are those units now within the teams that do that specifically and work with those other agencies. So the face, the face of warfare for American soldiers in the past 20 something years has changed dramatically. Right. And in the past 50, even hundred years, it's gone from traditional warfare, one enemy lining up against another or taking towns and hills and all that stuff, hitting beachfronts. Now it's door to door. It's, it's urban, um, and it's intelligence gathering because we're looking to pull together intelligence on, on our enemy. So it, it's a whole different perspective. And how does how does the training within the SEALs teams reflect that focus? Is there um is is there a great deal of intelligence training on what to look for, language skills? I mean, how does all that? How do you pull it all together? Because apparently you guys did an amazing job pulling intel out of the various places in the Middle East during the the last 20 years or so, because it, it's, it's a different focus. Um, I've never been in the military, so please, for, for the sake of our audience, what, what type of training do you guys do to be prepared for that kind of stuff? That's not an easy question to answer. Um, the, American, on that. the American public has an intolerance for collateral damage, right? Um, because of all of our news and everything that shows what's going on. And so, um, operations are more surgical and specific and targets, right? We don't just use ground troops like we used to with beach landing. Sometimes we do as diversions, like in the first Gulf War, but, um, they're more surgical. And so within a platoon, um, people are trained on sp- specific things. Um, uh, like collateral duties. My primary duty was as a medic, as a corpsman, um, but I was a, a rope master and a um, demolitions expert. And uh, I, I did all the dive stuff for open and closed circuit, you know, stuff like that. 
each guy is trained in things like that, whether they're a sniper or whatever, but they're also trained in Intel or foreign languages, or we don't do as much foreign languages, uh, special forces, the green berets, because we feel like if we're talking to people, we've messed up. Um, but we do some for specific reasons. It's another reason why they brought in these new commands, um, that are now focusing on the Intel, because I think they learned during this last war, the amount of Intel that we could gather, uh, women specifically could gather more information than the guys could because they built different relationships with people overseas that they could get more intel. Um, there was more joint and combined operations where we were working not only with other units within the United States, but overseas with the Polish Grom and the Lithuanians and the Germans and the French and gathering intel that way. And that's why I say this is such a hard question to answer because there's not one specific cookie cutter answer. It's, it's more complex in how we train and gather information without giving too much information right now. It's amazing. You know, the, most of the people out there, like Tim, you just said, don't have a concept of what you guys do and how much you know, they see the blip on the news about a takedown or, or a rescue or, you know, and that's kind of the end of it. Oh, these guys just go in and do this. And there's so much more to it that is beyond impressive. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it is, you know, it's not just saying it because you're here, but it's it takes a certain person to be an expert in multiple things. You know, a lot of us are, are good at one thing or two things and that you need to, in order to stay alive, in order to be mission specific and be successful at that mission, be so well-rounded and educated in what you do. It's mind-blowing. I mean, it's so crazy. It's it's so impressive. I th I think, you know, within a platoon or a task unit, the, the chiefs, you know, the senior enlisted and the officers see in you, each person has different skill sets and different capabilities. And they build upon that with your collateral duties. And so they'll send you to different schools that fit um, your inherent ability, if that makes sense. Um, there's basic things that we all need to go to, but then there's very specific things that are geared towards each person. Um, and when you deploy as a, as a task unit or a, a squadron or a platoon, um, you're built out with a, a very specific uh, capability list that they can then utilize for different uh, target packages. So how many deployments, if you can say, were you on um, as a SEAL? There are traditional six-month deployments, and then there's other deployments. Um, God, probably a little over 10 um, deployments. Yeah. During the course of your career, at what point during your career did you get married? And what was that like juggling such a high intensity, very demanding career, all encompassing career with a marriage and family life? You know, I've done a lot of podcasts and that's probably the first time anybody's ever asked that. And I, 
you know, when I retired, I made a really big deal about um, talking about my wife and my kids because I think their service in some ways is more difficult than our own. Um, I got married about 10 years into my career, 10 years into my 25 year career. So she was with me through kind of the second half of it. Um, my first daughter was born September 10th. She was hours old when the planes hit the twin towers and you know, my wife's holding our, our little baby and tears coming down her eyes. Cause she, she knew what was going to happen. I was going to be gone for a long time. And at one point, I think I was gone for my half of my son's life, uh, my second born. And that's the stuff, you know, they, they show the movies and the books and all the stuff, but they never talk about the sacrifice of the wives. And she was basically a single mother. Uh, we moved, I moved 17 times. And she, she had to take care of all that, you know, moving a family, moving a household, setting them up with new schools and dentists and haircuts and this and that. People don't realize how difficult that part of it is while your husband is deployed and you're trying to hold everything together and watching stuff on the TV and that kind of stuff. It's hard. My heart goes out to military wives. They're, um, amazing human beings. Uh, there is a high divorce rate because I think some women, you know, it's very glamorous. I married a seal, but they don't know really what they're getting themselves into. But the ones that make it through that are some of the toughest mentally and physically toughest women you'll ever meet. They're amazing. They're amazing. Wow. Wow. Damn. Great. Great question. Wow. Every now and then I get one. Every, Every once in a while, you know, without even me putting it out there to say it, you know, you, you, sometimes it works. Good job. <laughs> I'm so glad I got to talk about my wife and Navy wives in general. It's, uh, man, it's a rough job. You know, I, I can only imagine, um, being even being a cop's wife can be difficult, but oh yeah, for the most part, you're coming home every day or almost every day, unless you're away on some kind of a case or something like that. Tom had a lengthy uh, deployment of sorts to Afghanistan that he can talk about. We 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 already did that, but I had um, I had the occasion to see even just on the couple of business trips that I was on for investigations and stuff. Uh, how difficult it can be on kids, how difficult it can be on, on your wife and all that stuff to, to not be around for a week or two and have them not know if you're okay. That's the worst part. You're not playing baseball. You know, you're not on TV tonight playing from, from the other coast. You're in another country, another part of the world, and in many uh, instances, you probably are not able to tell them exactly where you are or even what country. They, and they know just by the nature of your work that it's, it's frontline, tier one, if stuff's going down, you're there because that's your job. That's what you're trained for, and that's what the government and, and the people of America expect from you. So you're over there, and you probably feel pretty good about what you're doing because you're confident, because you've been there, done that. you got a great team, just like we would do a search warrant and stuff. You know, you, how many times you've done search warrants? So I, I know what I'm doing. We're good. i got a good team. you got assignments. We're going to follow. We're going to execute, and we're, gonna, we're all going to come back okay. But your family doesn't know that. 
<laughs> they, they don't know anything until they yeah. hear it from you. And uh, I, I give your, your wife and your children and all the military wives and children a lot of credit. Um, it's a lot of deprivation, a lot of loneliness, a lot of difficulty that they put up with. So it's really nice of you to, to give a tribute to them the way that you did. Yeah. So thanks for asking that question, Dan. It's a, it's a huge thing. And, you know, police wives, military wives, the level of stress and anxiety for them, you know, cause they're at home with the kids worrying about us. It's huge. And we don't talk about that enough. Um, and they are resilient, strong, independent, amazing women. And I'm super proud of my wife and what she's done and accomplished. So I'm glad no, you said that. You're a hundred percent right. I, I done a podcast a few weeks ago and, and it's the, program I did, uh, the guys were nice enough to ask the same question kind of Danny just asked. And it was so nice to talk about your family because we don't get to, you know, all of us are kind of keep that kind of close to us. Don't kind of put it out there. So when you have the opportunity to praise them for the work that they've done, and I said it on the show, I did, you know, a cop's wife is harder than being a cop, you know, yeah. the military is the same thing. We know yeah. where we are. We know what we're doing. You know, they don't. Uh, like you just yeah. said, Tim, and and that's harder. So uh, I'm glad you, you hit on that because that's the next thing I wanted to talk about because this is part of our 9-11 Remembrance series that we're doing and ending it on a great note with, with the military aspect of it. So you're with your family on September 11th. Your, your child just born the day before. And I'm sure you know, like all of us thought, the world just changed. And our careers all just changed. In 102 minutes, everything about our lives changed. What was your view of the global war on terror from a military standpoint? Like we have our law enforcement parts that we've done in JTTF and all that. But what was life like knowing this was going to be it for however long it was going to take, but the war on terror was starting and you guys were going to be in the forefront of it. How, how did that roll into your, your mindset and your you know deployment, everything going on with the SEALs? So when we were sitting in the, uh, in the hospital room, and I remember watching this, I think for everybody, it, it was so shocking for us to wrap our head around what was just happening, right? So we sat there and watched this, and I'm thinking this through. I'm like, Oh, oh my God, a second plane. And then they start showing it hitting the Pentagon and all, all these things. And I'm like, Oh my God. And then I started communicating with the, with the team and, and the people and, and it slowly starts sinking in. I think first everybody's in just in shock. And then we're trying to figure out what just happened. And now the ball slowly starts getting going. I remember you know, thinking this is what the guys in Pearl Harbor must have been thinking when we got hit there. And now we're hit here and it's different. I don't know for Americans when we get hit at home, I was pissed. It's pissed off. Not from a military standpoint, but as just an American that somebody would attack us on our home soil. And Specifically, when we deployed, I think to a man, we understood that this wasn't just we're going to fight a war. We're going to protect our families, our neighbors, our community, 
there was this sense of purpose in what we were about to do and why. And, and I know we're going to talk about this because it's all about 912 in what happened and how we felt, but we had a purpose and, and we were pissed and we went and we got, we got the job done. Um, uh, it was interesting uh, when you compare that to other, other things that we've done. So more laser like focus, I would say. And I think, I yeah. think we felt a lot of that, even in the NYPD, we were down on the pile and I remember a feeling, a feeling as though I was in a schoolyard as a kid and two kids were holding my arms. And another one was punching me in the stomach and I couldn't do anything about it. I was, um, uh, a combination of pissed off and felt very much like a victim. Yeah. And nobody likes to feel like a victim. I can't imagine because I'm in Washington and you guys were in New York. You were right there at ground zero. Um, I can't even imagine what was going through your minds when all this was happening. Cause that's, that's right there in your front yard, you know? Well, we wanted, we wanted payback literally for the people that we knew and everybody that was under that pile that we were walking on and we were trying to find, we wanted payback. And, and yeah. it's not, you know, not a very Christian thing to say, I want revenge, but it's human. And we did. And we were very happy and proud to know that people like you were going to be part of that answer to that. And uh, we were wishing you well and praying for you guys. It's like, please come back safe, but go send a message. Answer yeah. this. Right? We that, went that, after him with everything we had, Dan. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you. Oh, I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure I don't know half of it. You know, I'm sure a lot of it can't be said, but uh, I believe you. And that's, that's very comforting. It's... Yeah. Uh, in the back of your mind, when you're over there, it gives you this sense of determination and purpose. Cause you're always thinking about that. Your, your family, your community, your friends, your neighbors, and why you're there. And every night you're going out, um, hitting multiple targets and it, it gives you that energy to keep going, um, through, <laughs> through Everything. intense adversity. You, you know what I mean? Uh, it pushes you uh, to continue. Well, well, if there was a motivating factor or motivating day to to get pushed to the ultimate limit, it was that day. Uh, I watched a, a a post you put out last week that I actually responded to, Tim. That was so on point and perfect that isn't mentioned enough. But want to give you the opportunity now to to say it again, expand on it. Of your thought of nine twelve, unbelievable thought uh, of of that. So just go through that for everyone listening and watching. Yeah, thank you. So you know, I think everybody gets focused on nine eleven, right? It, it, for obvious reasons, because we were so angry. But the next day, 9-12, the point I was trying to make to the American people is that we came together, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of anything, we came together and you saw people chanting USA and uh, you couldn't find an American flag. They'd been sold out. There's flags on every house. People are waving the flags. Um, we even saw Congress and Senate come out <laughs> together uh, for once in agreement on being American. And I, I miss that America right now. I feel like we're so divided. We're being pulled in different directions. And I don't like that for Americans. We need to, we need to get back to nine twelve. If somehow we can capture 
that feeling again and, and, and be one, be one America. Stop dividing us by the million different things that we can be divided by. Get past all that. I know it's easy to say it, but just come back together as, as Americans and find that sense of American pride and just. I don't know what else to say about it. it no, just, I, I, I remember when, you know, just staying on that point, I remember when you'd walk into Home Depot, Target, Low, whatever, and you couldn't find an American flag. Couldn't buy one. No. they were all right. gone. You know, on cars, on houses, on trucks, on the back of motorcycles, schools. Uh, you know, I, I'm with you, man. I, You know, you don't want an event like 9-11 certainly to happen again, but that sense of unity and and patriotism was so great to to feel not even to see it you know to feel it you know that that sense of pride was something we're missing yeah i still have an american flag on my house and i have one in front of my business and I'm, it's sad to say that when people are come you know they're asking for directions to my business i say well I'm the one with the American flag out front. I'm the only one. You can't miss it. It shouldn't be like that. We can still have pride, American pride, and put the flags up and and show some patriotism. And it's it's okay to be proud of your country. It's it's okay, especially when your country is in so many ways the light of the world. And I hate to use terms like that. It sounds like a flowery term. But it's but true. Many, we're the last best hope for humanity, honestly, when it comes to it's true. freedoms and def- what we do to defend others. Um, yeah, any, people who knock America just simply haven't traveled the world and, and or lived anyplace else. Because once you have, you come back here. And anytime I've been overseas anywhere for any purpose, I generally come back to America and I want to kiss the, the tarmac on the airport. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. so blessed to be born an American. And, Absolutely. Uh, people easily forget that. You talk about the unity after uh, 912 was, you're absolutely right. And from our perspective, I can tell you that uh, every day going down to the pile to look for remains, look for survivors first and then remains. And that was your job every day, 12 hours a day, if not more, digging, yeah. dealing with the heat, dealing with all the stuff that was down there. The motivating factor was was knowing that so many people were being united by this horrible moment and people were supporting us and what we were doing. We had genuine love poured out to us from from the, uh, the world. And it was it's it was the wind that kept us going when we were exhausted because we were exhausted. I mean, if I slept three, four hours a night, it was a lot, a lot. For weeks and weeks. Right. And uh, hardly got home. When I did get home, my kids were so happy to see me and just, you know, coming all over me and hugging me. Are you OK? And because they don't know what's going on down there. They don't have any idea. They just know dad's going to work and he's going to be at that terrible site and he's doing stuff that's, you know, it has to get done, but it's, it's tragedy that it had to get done. But I can tell you from our perspective, one, we were greatly, greatly relieved to see public support for what we were doing in the military and the sense of patriotism. It was an amazing um, shot in the arm at a terrible time. And also, it was great to know that people like you were doing your job at the highest level to try to make sure no one does this again. We have to respond. You know, we have a thing in the NYPD when somebody kills one of ours, if it's a criminal organization or something like that, we hit them so hard they never they don't think about it again. 
uh, we have to do that as a country too. You can't yeah. just come to our shores and, and kill thousands of innocent people without there being yeah. massive repercussions. Yeah. And there were massive repercussions. You know, what you guys did when you look back at the police department and the fire department running into the building, you know, when you talk about courage and honor, what the NYPD and the fire department did running into that building, knowing most likely they were going to die is amazing. And it's why I think you still see people wearing NYPD and, and fire department hats to this day to honor them to honor their courage and sacrifice. And what you guys went through is unbelievable. And the stories you could probably tell from that day are unreal. Um, you know, we internalized that from outside of New York, uh, felt that. And like you said, we took it to them because it's, it's heartbreaking to see our fellow Americans, um, sacrifice like that. And, uh, we took it right back to them. Um, well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. That's, that's become, that's become a thing again, right? I think it's since nine 11 and since the global war on terror, a lot of Americans are genuinely appreciative and filled with gratitude. And when they see a military member, they'll walk up and thank him for their service or, and it almost becomes cliche and some people downplay it. But I got to tell you, whenever I say it, whenever I see it, I really mean it. My father was a Marine, a combat veteran. And I, I was born with an appreciation for, for the men and women who served this country. And I think that should never die. Uh, regardless of political leanings, regardless of anything else that's happening, as Americans, we have got to. So if you're getting on a plane and you get a fir first class seat and as a, a soldier, airman, uh, member of the Marine Corps, any, anyone else who's getting on in uniform, give them your first class seat. Do it. Just do it. And don't look for a big thank you or a pat on the back. <laughs> or if you're in line in front of one of them at a Starbucks, buy them their coffee. You know what I mean? Dan, we feel the same way about you guys, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. We feel the same way about you and the fire department. Honestly, your sacrifices are no different. Your courage and heroism is no different. Uh, we're one big team serving a country that we love. Well, thank That's you what for it that. Comes down to, and I, I feel thank the same you. way about you guys. So it gets to a point in your career after uh, only 25 years. I mean, come on. Why don't you, you know. You should have just Once had you a commit career. to something. Really? You know what I mean, mean well, you know. I tell people I was just too dumb to quit. So I just. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I did. I did thirty. So who's dumber? <laughs> uh, but you know what? You're you're and, it, and it's a great segue into what we're going to talk about. Your your allegiance to what you are and who you are and the men you know you you served with. You get to a point now where it's time to go, but you want to take something with you and give back. And you come up with one of the best companies, thankfully, Dan and I are involved with. And we don't say that lightly. There's some companies Dan and I have said no to, not saying names, but we have, you know, that don't, you know, aren't aligned with what we're thinking. You were an absolute no-brainer. And we actually hooked up, Tim, if you remember, and Dan remember, at Police Week. That was our first phone call with you while we were down yeah. there yes. honoring the men and women that have fallen and given them their lives for, for everyone, a bunch of strangers they give their lives for. And that was our first phone call uh, during Police Week. And from then on, 
we couldn't be more honored to be involved with Bone Frog Coffee that you developed and you run. So let's hear it, buddy. Let's hear about this amazing company you now are are right there. Right here. Here's my shirt for everybody. <laughs> you know, I I had no intention. I, I didn't even know. I, I was at my retirement ceremony. I retired out of Fort Bragg. I was at a joint command there. And, and the Navy, we have these big fancy retirements. And I was up there giving my speech. And in the back of my head, I had this idea because – at the time, you know, we, we had been at war for 16 years and here's this big auditorium of people of, from my 25 year career, but there was a lot of people missing. I'm like, you know, I got to do something to honor them and their sacrifice guys that gave their lives for something greater than themselves. And I, I remember at that point, we were in a hotel getting ready to move back here. And I told my wife, I said, I have an idea. I don't know what it is, but I need to honor my teammates. And she goes, okay. And I, I sat and I, I just, I kind of fleshed it out a little bit and figured out a way to tell their stories. And the best way that I could figure out how to do that was through coffee and wine. Coffee, because, you know, typically, you know, if we're going to get together and talk a business meeting or whatever, we say, hey, let's meet at a coffee shop, right? We meet at a coffee shop and we'll sit and talk. It's a conversation piece. Wine is the same way. You know, you get together with your friends, you have this nice dinner, you share a bottle of wine, a nice meal, and, and you have a conversation. And I wanted to use the labels on these products to tell a story. Um, and so I slowly kind of built a foundation of telling the story about the SEAL teams and how it started and and all those kind of things. And um, the whole basis of it is for the bone frog. Now, the bone frog was originally drawn by Keith Kimura. Uh, he was also a medic. And when he passed away, the bone frog became kind of this iconic symbol in the SEAL teams that represented those who gave their lives. Guys will tattoo this image on them or, you know, name of their lost uh, teammate, things like that. His image was different. I modified mine to honor him and not use his. Um, I put the trident in the pelvis and changed the head and, and did some things like that. But the, the meaning behind the bone frog is the same. And it comes from the original frogman, Freddie the Frog, in 1942, World War II, the underwater demolition teams. And so we try to tell this story about the old frogman, UDTs, scouts and raiders, that kind of stuff, um, which is on the frogman bag. I created a new, more modern frogman uh, to talk about that, which led into the bone frog that we named our, our coffee and wine after to tell these stories. My my hope <laughs> is that every American sees the bone frog, recognizes it for what it is. You know, Tom, they would see you wearing that and go right on, man. I, I, I know mm -hmm. what, you're, yep. what you're representing. And same thing with you, Dan, if you're using your coffee cup. Eventually we'll get there, but we've got to get in front of more people. Got to get more eyes on the product. I got to keep telling the story uh, so people understand what we represent and then I wanted to be able to give back. So we give back part of our proceeds to foundations that support different aspects of, of naval special warfare. So the wives and kids that are left behind, kids scholarships, the, um, 
disabled veterans that were wounded during the war. You know, all those kind of things are important aspects of our company of giving back. And then, you know, we've got this great story, but I needed great products to go along with it. Like you said, you could have this great message and then you try the product and you're like, eh, that's eh, eh, okay. So you buy it once and you move on. So I was fortunate enough by the grace of God to partner with Dave Stewart, who is the original founder of Seattle's Best Coffee. And if you live here in Washington, you've got to create good coffee. I mean, this is where it all came from. Dave Stewart, uh, it was him and Howard Schultz that battled it out in the early 70s for coffee supremacy here in, in Seattle, which then became the world's kind of coffee craze. Everything kind of came out of this area. And uh, Dave ended up selling um, in 2013, and it's gone through multiple owners from then. He sold to, to Howard. And um, having a guy like Dave Stewart, who has roasted coffee for over five decades, teaching me right out of the military, I don't know anything about coffee, but I've got one of the most iconic world-renowned coffee roasters teaching me and helping develop blends and you know, he was so on board when I told him what I wanted to do because he's this patriotic flag waving American. He's like, I, I, I'm in. Let me know what I can do. And we have had the best relationship moving forward in developing all these blends. And it's, it's fantastic. And then on the wine side, same kind of thing. I partnered with a winemaker, um, over in the Columbia Valley. Um, Washington wines have become uh, world renowned wines of their own. We're, you know, right there with, uh, California wines now globally. We source from some of the oldest vineyards in the state. Um, our, our wine is, is fantastic. And, um, it, it's a fun thing. It, when I put a bottle of wine down in the middle of a table, when we go to these fancy dinners, it's almost like, you know, the, the record screeches to a stop and everybody looks at it. Because <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. the bone frog is this strange, weird looking image. <laughs> and I put all the information on the back of the bottle. They only see the bone frog on the front. And I want them to grab the bottle, look at it, turn it over and get the story on the back. And then the conversation starts. Um, everything we've done is very purposeful. It's meant to honor the sacrifice and the legacy of these guys that gave their lives for our country. And it's meant to continue to keep telling the stories. They say that we, we die twice once when we stop breathing. And again, when somebody says your name for the last time, and I feel a calling to continue to say their names and talk about my teammates because their sacrifices were so great. Their families are continuing to sacrifice because of their loss. Um, that's why we exist as a company, um, and why I'm so grateful to be on your podcast to tell your listeners about what we do. Well, we are absolutely honored to have you on, um, your, your, your reason for going into this is why we want to be affiliated with you, not just your career as a SEAL that alone gets all kinds of honor from us and appreciation, but because you've taken your passion for the men and women who do this and those who are left behind and turned it into something very, very positive and you're giving back. You're educating, creating awareness and giving back. 
which is why we're, we're proud and honored to be associated with you and why I drink your coffee on every show. You're going to see me <laughs> drink it. It's the only stuff I drink anymore. Can't have it. Can't have grateful, anything else. Grateful, Dan. Thank you. And I want everybody to try it, not just because it's Tim's coffee, but because it's got a great purpose behind it. But at the, at the end of the day, if it's not a great product, right, it's a great product. Bone Frog Coffee is phenomenal. It's so good. Oh, I want to make one other comment. On the back of each bag, I put God Country Team. God Country Team up at the top there. For a reason. We can't be afraid to, to put God first in everything we do. And I am grateful for so many reasons, but it's how I, I run my company. It's how I, I live my life for my family and everything, our, our morals, our values, our work ethic. It all goes through God. And I think if you put God first in everything you do, you can't go wrong. Country, because I was willing to give my life for that, as you guys were. And team, because team is all encompassing, right? We talked about this with 9-11. It's your, it's your family. It's your neighbors, your community, your church, your town. That's your team. And it's all these people that come together in your life to help you out. Uh, like Tom and Dan and, you know, it's, it's a team that's going forward to share a message about something that's greater than yourself, right? We talk about our, our service to country, to our city, to that kind of stuff. And that's, that's what's important in our business and what you're doing in your podcast. Thank you for that. And, you know, as a believer, I echo what you say about God is the most important thing. He made us. He created us. He knows us. He loves us. He wants us to know him. So by doing what you're doing, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little scripture here really quick. James one twenty two, one of my favorite verses, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. You must do what it says. And you are doing that. You're living out a life of service. You're serving others, putting others above yourself, which is the example Jesus set on earth. So thank you for doing that and for mentioning it. You know, people are sheepish about their faith. Christians, believers are, are called to be bold about our faith. Yeah. And we cannot sit back and act like we don't care about it because it should be the most important thing to you. It's important. And, you know, when I started the company, um, I made a commitment that we can't be afraid to speak about things. Right. And we need to come together uh, to talk about faith and to understand that God has a plan for us. It's not ours to question his plan. And we don't know where that path is going to take us, but God had a plan for me. And this is what it is. It wasn't something that I, you know, had planned on, but, uh, I have, I have a belief and a faith in his plan and I'm sticking with it and I'm not afraid to say it. So. Well, good for you. And you shouldn't because listen, it, you know, everything happens for a reason. Dan and I have said that over and over again. I live, let live my life with that. You know, there, there's a plan, like you just said, Tim, and you have to take advantage of that plan because it's for a reason. There's a reason, there's a plan, you know, and you're giving back to a, an incredible uh, community of people is so great uh, because you never lost sight of what was important. You know, we could be all individuals in what we do. Great. Danny and I will tell you every day that there was not one case we did alone. Never. 
And any cop out there worth their salt will say the same thing. There's nothing done alone. And you can say that as a member of the most elite teams in the world, you know, with the SEALs. You know, your you, SEALs are the team concept. There, there's not a greater group of people who who take that and and hold that as much as they do. And your giving back is so great. And like Dan said, we're just honored. We're humbled, humbled by being uh, associated with you, but so proud of it also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, uh, you you live it out for sure. You live out the, what the teams represent, which is a community. And, um, you know, Christians and believers will call it fellowship. We need it. We need each other. Yeah. We need each other to be strong. And yeah. um, and that's what the SEALs embody. It's what so many people embody. But we do it all in, in our lives, in our families, in our friends. We've got to recognize and appreciate just how vital those connections are. And we have to honor them. And you're doing that. So we thank you for that. Thanks, Dan. Um, so we we couldn't. Yeah, go ahead, please. No, I would just say, how do we get it? How does everyone get it, Tim? How does everyone get a the wine? Holidays are coming up. Wines are huge. Coffee every day. Ask Dan. <laughs> how does everyone get their hands on this incredible product? So for the coffee, if you go to bonefrogcoffee.com, go onto our website. You'll see on there that, you know, you can first time buyers get 10% off. You can go on and you can subscribe to get money off. We have a rewards program. So you build points uh, to get more money off. Um, So go on the website, check it out. Look through everything. We just launched our red, white and brew bag that we talked about for 9-11 that honors those uh, police and firemen and first responders that lost their lives that day. And those who continued on, um, we have other bags that honor different events, but go on, take a look at it. Try our products. If you're, if I have some customers are worried about buying a whole bag of coffee, you can go on and buy a sample bag, four ounce bag, uh, or a sample pack and try all of our blends at the same time. Uh, try it that way. We have all kinds of merchandise and things that you can get shirts, hats, cups, mugs, that kind of stuff. For the wine, you can go to bonefrogsellers.com. Go to our website. Um, that will take you through to our partner uh, winery down in Richland, Washington. They do all of our fulfillment out of there, and they'll ship your wine straight to your door. Um, we do ship uh, coffee to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., so if you have anybody living outside the United States, we can get it shipped to them. Um but that's how you get there. And really the biggest thing, and I will write you a personal note uh, when you purchase um, or one of my associates will, that um, we welcome you to the Bonefrog team. And so when you buy, uh, you become a team member and we welcome you because you're now helping us accomplish our mission, which is to give back. And we're really grateful And I try to call, I know this is strange, but I call customers just to thank them. Um, I think customer service is lost. And so I will periodically just pick up the phone and start calling customers and just say, hey, this is the owner of Bonefrog Coffee, and I am grateful that you support us. Thank you so much. 
And uh, I get all kinds of responses on the other end. <laughs> They're surprised that the owner of a company would actually wow. call and thank them. So that's great. That's how much wow. the customers mean to me. I appreciate them because they're helping me support the families of NSW that gave so much. Terrific. Amazing stuff. So once again, really quick for the audience, if you want to try the best coffee you're ever going to drink, the only coffee you should be drinking going forward is going to be bonefrogcoffee.com and bonefrogcellars, dot com for the wine that I have yet to try. You have a sample size of that, or do we have to buy it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I should. I, I, I will be picking some up. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Tim, for your service, uh, for being the man that you are, and for doing what you're doing now with giving back. We, uh, we are honored to be in your team now. Uh, likewise. Thank you for having me on and letting me share my story. I'm grateful, honestly, to both of you and all your service in New York and, and um, other agencies. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. It was our honor. And so everyone out there just have a, a real quick understanding of the humility, uh, Tim being so humble. Here's a guy who has a 25-year incredible career, has an unbelievable company. Dan and I had a really quick conversation about having Bone Fry Coffee as the official coffee of Gold Shields. We talked about it. Now, we don't do anything on the show without talking to our affiliates, talking to our companies. And I called Tim and said, are you okay if Gold Shields is the official coffee or, or Bonefrog is the official coffee of Gold Shields? You couldn't have been more happy or excited about that than we were. <laughs> and it so just, I love it was, you guys. I love what you stand for. I love everything about you guys. It was a great feeling to get that response from you. You know, not just, oh, God, thanks, guys. That'd be great. You were just just the response was so great and and something i won't forget it was a great conversation and hung the phone up with you and called dan and was like you couldn't believe the response so we're proud of that you know uh we're proud of of knowing you and being on your team and being able to get this message out to not only the, your unbelievable career but about bone fried coffee so uh echoing dan thank you so so much for being here and Dan, we got a new kind of uh, quick little thing with the show with takeaways. All right. We, we are developing this now. The show is developing every week. And this is a new thing that we're, we are starting today. And by the way, Tim, congratulations, because you are our 40th show. Believe it or not. That's awesome. You guys are doing so great. Thank you. So great. And I can't wait to share this with all my network of people. I, I love you. what you guys are doing. Well, thank you. So, gonna, Dan, what's we're gonna your? We're going to send you a challenge coin first. You got to see yes. our challenge coins; they're phenomenal. We're going to send right. you one. Uh, go ahead, Tom. So, what's takeaways. your what's your takeaways from the show? Uh, first, I'm going to throw up his family. I think uh, the importance of family behind anyone who does any of the work that uh, the military or law enforcement or first responders do was was really brought out and highlighted today. And thank you, Tim, for uh, for expanding upon that for us. Uh, second takeaway, I would say, would be loyalty. Um, Tim continues to exhibit the loyalty that he had on the teams for the members and memories and families of those he worked with. And a third, I would have to say, is uh, faith. He's a man of faith, and uh, that, of course, runs true with us as well. 
And I think those are three very important takeaways and highlights from today's show. Yep. And I'm going to mine our, our dedication. Takes a lot to do what you did. Takes an enormous amount of dedication to put your life on the line, not knowing what's behind that door, leaving your family to do so. Uh, second is the sacrifice of our families, our wives, the unknown, you know, uh, not knowing what's going on and having to pick up the family and continue it and the kids and all that. And the last is giving back. Uh, it's very easy to retire and just kind of do your own thing because some people think, Hey, I did my time. I'm done. I'm good. Uh, I'm just going to go relax. And you refuse to do that and continue to give back to the SEAL community, which is great. Uh, so thank you one more time. Uh, Dan, I mean, <laughs> what do you say after this? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, I just, I'm amazed. And it's been such a great discussion. I could sit and talk with you, Tim, for hours. You're a fascinating man. You're a man of honor, a man I respect deeply. And I will just ha- I have one question for you. After you spent four or five hours, let's say, stomping the red grapes, does it take you a while to get the color off your skin? <laughs> <laughs> or is it is it easy? I don't know. I haven't stomped grapes. I'm just checking because I understand you're that personally involved in the grapes. <laughs> I have never stomped on a grape. <laughs> I have the vision of Lucy yeah. when she was, you know, stomping around the you know the vat of of grapes. So yeah, I just put Tim's fa- I just put Tim's face on Lucy, and we're good. <laughs> we'll be very happy that I have not put my my. Bare feet on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want anybody doing that. <laughs> uh, so, so thank, uh, you. thank you again. And uh, like we do every week, uh, pray for our men and women in uniform in law enforcement and in the military. You know, all these men and women do a thankless job, they sacrifice their lives for a bunch of strangers, you know. Uh, Cops running to jobs don't know the people they're running to jobs to to help and protect, and the military is out there protecting a nation of strangers. So keep them all in your prayers. Keep their families in their prayers, which which is a heartache and struggle in and of itself. So continue to pray for all of them. And once again, a outstanding, memorable show. Uh, remembering 9-11 and the military response to 9-11 with our great, great friend, Tim Cruikshank. Uh, for my partner, Dan Murphy. For Timmy, uh, this is Tom Smith. Thank you again. And remember, to everyone out there, youtube.com slash at Gold Shields. Hit that subscribe button. It's free. Uh, hit the little bell up in the corner. Get your notifications about the show. And rumble.com slash gold shields, same premise. Hit that follow button, and we're on all, all, when I say all, all, we're doing really good, all audio podcast platforms. Check us out, and we thank you all the time for all the support that we're getting from the show. So everyone out there, please stay safe, and we will see you all very soon.